Golf ball's the best, number one. It's the GOAT of sports apps. Talk about the greatest of all time. Big Joe's the greatest of all time. He's the GOAT. <laughs> we know it. I, I'm going to say I'm the Djokovic of this scenario. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Download the OTB sports app now. You're very welcome along. So it's a Monday evening here and off the bowl. One of those weekends with a lot going on. Kenny Cunningham's going to join us on the football show. He's talking Man City-Liverpool, a game which I think it's fair to say keeps on living up to its billing. We had two Irish golfers in the top three at Augusta. Scotty Scheffler, though, underlined his credentials with a rock-solid display. Dermot Gleese on the show this hour. We will also have word from Sweden ahead of Ireland's World Cup qualifier, Ashley O'Reilly in Gothenburg for Off the Ball. Live commentary on the show tomorrow. And then Monday Night Rugby as well. Heineken Champions Cup, Women's Six Nations. We have Fiona Hayes and Keith Wood. After 8 o'clock, 53106, the text number. We're at Off The Ball on Twitter. Mick McCarthy in studio. Hello. Hey, Joe. And Richie McCormick, you're there, I presume, Richie. You presume right, Joe. Oof, bit of a delay. We're going to manage, though, like the pros that we are, Richie. Fear not. Uh, Man City 2, Liverpool 2. I do remember watching this game. I'm pretty sure it was the first few days of January 2019. A game City won at the Etihad. I think it was 2-1. I seem to remember Sané scoring. But my, my main takeaway uh, watching that game was this is now the best game in world football. Yeah. Pretty much. And it's been the case ever since. And even yesterday, with all the build-up and all the billing. Mm. Sort of a, in a way that's very much counter to every single Manchester United-Liverpool game. <laughs> uh, this one just delivers. It is uh, relentless. It is high quality. It's less fire and brimstone. That's been much talked about. It's more technique yeah. and uh, pure football and, and, and respect. But it's an ex- it's in an extraordinary um, state at the moment. That game, it's just yeah. outrageous. But just so fast paced and everything about it, like and in two completely different ways, as we know. And it's like I just, as you said, lived up to the billing. There was a point in the second half. No, I think actually after City's first goal, where I just went. That's going to be very hard for Liverpool to win this game now. You know, it's like you're thinking, right? City have started like a house on fire. Unbelievable. It's kind of ruined the game because I can't see Liverpool scoring two. And then Liverpool equalise so quickly that you're like, oh, game on again. Then they kind of hang on to half time. City are brilliant all the way through the first half. It's 2 1. You're like, right, if they don't score soon, it's going to too far back because they have to win again. Now, the fact that they didn't win didn't take away from it because they were in with a chance all the way through. So Mane scores straight away in the second half. And you're like, this is everything you want. And I remember just like, there's that rare moment where you're watching a game, not in company but you talk to the TV or you shout at the TV and I just read like there was just an exhale of what a game Mm. you know when Mane scored and then even the Sterling goal not being allowed kept it alive and kept everything just and they're just so well matched and everything about it and like oh Salah had such a poor first half maybe they should take him off at Mm -hmm. half time and then he's just so good in the second half and everything he does you know it just has everything doesn't it yeah it's in a great place Richie and even the Pep and uh, Klopp well, I was going to say a handshake. It's more. It was more like Pep, like high on life, and like that was football. That's what Pep was saying with that handshake. That was football, Jurgen Klopp. A, a touch more uh, subdued, given the result, uh, I think. But it was like an extraordinary high point in the season after well over a month of fairly intense build-up. Yeah, I'd seen a lot of in in the wake of yesterday's game the term a great advertisement for the Premier League, and that's you know that's what the Premier League is all about. But when I heard that, I kept being reminded of do you know those games for like an Xbox or those ads for an Xbox game or a PlayStation game where it looks all smooth and, and really clean and brilliant, 
but on the underneath it just says not actual gameplay footage that's what yesterday was Liverpool and City are so far ahead of everybody else in the Premier League that yesterday's game is not actually an accurate representation of what you see in the rank and file matches in England's top flight because they're just so much better like naturally over time like everything else they will come back to the pack or the pack will catch up with them but at the moment like there's streets ahead in, in terms of technique, in terms of tactical nous, in terms of individual player ability, just so far ahead of everybody else that it's almost it's almost unfair and they're almost operating in their own little two team league at the moment. Joe, as somebody that uh, inexplicably watched about 70 minutes of uh, Burnley and Norwich just before this match, I can confirm <laughs> what Richie is saying is very much true. <laughs> Sean Dyche got everything he deserved. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, yeah. It's early in the season for Sean Dyche to be showing such hubris after the Everton game, wasn't it? <laughs> it really did feel like that. I think we talked about it at, at the time. It just felt immediate. Like, you've just ruined this. Yeah. You've just beaten Everton. You've sucked them into the relegation and you've just ruined it with your hubris. John Giles wasn't too happy about it when we were talking oh, yeah. to him on Thursday. Yeah, let your uh, football do the talking, I suspect. Uh, and there is, like, this obvious, I was going to say an attacking slant to what City and Liverpool are doing. It's far more than a slant, it's a full on attack. And that just adds to the whole thing as well. I mean, you think where English football was, and this is going back, you know, a touch, but you think of where it was when Mourinho and Benitez were at their peaks and Liverpool, Chelsea. That was really dour. Like, it was, was really, terrible. it was grim. It I was, hated that. Yeah. Awful. Like, yeah. Awful. Yeah. And, and so here we are a decade on. It's good to see that, like, attacking football has ultimately trumped One whatever edge. the hell that was. At least for now, anyway. For now, yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, and also, it it gives it that like you're talking about games living up to their billing big games and that's anywhere in the world forget about it being the Premier League they don't live up to it yeah. you know you're talking about like you know chess matches and all the other cliches that didn't happen you yeah. know it was a goal after four minutes it's amazing you know players tighten up this is you know semi-finals are always terrible finals are not much better players tighten up yeah this, these two teams don't tighten up it's like okay let's start go and that's actually do you know Gary Neville was talking about in commentary after Mane's goal about like Klopp having guts and Liverpool having guts and that was so much of it you know you would expect them to in some way whatever about tighten up at least feel somewhat downhearted by the first half performance by the fact that City led twice by the fact that that's going to be so hard to win from there Liverpool team just constantly amaze me by how much they just believe in themselves and the process of how they do it and look it goes without saying that City are in the exact same boat and you know I couldn't see City losing that game at any point yesterday you know, but Liverpool probably could and that's what's actually so phenomenal about it it's two teams just at the top of their game yeah. just clashing at 100 miles an hour I, I actually can't remember where there's been so there was kind of a lot of nonsense about whether United and Arsenal was as good a rivalry as this and all. but forget about even the rivalry part I just don't ever remember teams clashing at such a high level for such a sustained period, period of time yeah. Yeah. no I agree with you I did feel for a time El Clasico was at a different standard to everything else that was on in the world yeah, for sure that's like, fair yeah. and, and it not what really was I mean look Barcelona had more of an edge than than anyone has in the city Liverpool uh, rivalry although you feel you do feel Liverpool are trying, just trying to keep pace that little bit with uh, mm. City but we, Barcelona were clearly better than Madrid but it was still an unbelievable level uh, so you got uh, random five nils thrown in there and stuff yeah. like that. There were big headline games, but were they as high quality on both sides? Now, don't get me wrong, some of them were, of course. I thought some of them were. But I can't yeah. see either of these teams getting whooped five nil. No, there was a 4 1 when one of them had won the league, but generally it's it's tight and there are also goals. Penny for Jack Grealish's thought. 
Yeah. Do you know? God, there was a point even when I was like, Jack, oh, he's, he's doing what he's supposed to do. He's running at the defence and Maddox just like tackled him absolutely yeah. perfectly. And there was a pass on. Like, yeah. Gre- like the, Pep Guardiola, I guarantee you, watched Grealish when he took on that dribble and he had somebody screaming and galloping down the left wing and, he, and Grealish either saw him and chose not to or didn't have the vision to see him. I suspect saw him and chose not to. You know, Jack Grealish has a bit of vision. And I suspect Pep internally went, mm, yeah, not for me. He's not there yet. Because Pep was asked why Jesus him over the summer. started ahead of Grealish. Mm. And I suspect he's lying with his answer. He said, Gabriel deserves to play a lot because he's a fantastic person. So I felt he dodged <laughs> the question a touch. He also <laughs> did say that Jesus has a lot of experience in these big games and that's fair you know he's played in these top of the table deciders a good few times I thought there was a bit element of truth in that he's also scored I think against Chelsea and not sure who the other like Man United or something he scored in yeah. big games this season when he's actually got hardly any goals this season you like know? Neville was making the point during the game Arsenal or, it was sorry not you know. yeah the reason that they've gone with Jesus for instance over a Grealish or even over a and Maris, you know, I'm sure he was thinking as well, what have I done wrong? It's an outrageous bench. And the point they were making at Sky was, well, Jesus and Sterling can really run in behind this Liverpool high line. It's kind of like, Jack Grealish at Aston Villa. I mean, he can run in behind any line as well. Like, there's more to it than that. There's yeah. something else going on there with Jesus. He's not he, trusted. Like, no. Grealish definitely isn't trusted. Has Jesus know? morphed from not very good attacking player into reliable? Like, is he, is he Dirk out? Is that what's going on here? You know, it's it's like failed striker almost, not a, not a finisher of the quality of Aguero, and now is like reborn as the hardworking workforce. winger. <laughs> like, yeah, the new Firmino, except on the wing. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to it know. It's an odd one. Yeah. I mean, he when scored anyway, so spent a hundred million on Jack Grealish. It is uh, really interesting. Uh, we should start the news round. It is brought to you with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, finally, Richie, you've seen sense. You're starting with the uh, Masters. I'm just surprised that we've gone 12 minutes and you haven't <laughs> barely mentioned it at all. Me too, Dermot Gleeson's set up with uh, yeah, that's incredible. Uh, despite late pressure from Rory McIlroy, it was Scotty Scheffler who was crowned Masters champion last night. The New Jersey native slipped on the green jacket after a final round 71, saw him top the leaderboard on 10 under par, three clear of McIlroy. Scheffler says he felt calm out on course yesterday, but admits to being a bag of nerves yesterday morning. I cried like a baby this morning. I was so stressed out. Um... I didn't know what to do. I was sitting there. I was telling Meredith, I was like, I, I don't think I'm ready for this. You know, I'm not ready. I go, I don't feel like I'm ready for this kind of stuff. And I just felt overwhelmed. And so she told me, who are you to say that you're not ready? Um, who, who am I to say that I know what's best for, for my life? And so for what we talked about is, you know, that God is in control and, you know, the Lord is leading me. And um, if today's my time, then, then it's my time. And if, you know, I shot 82 today, you know, somehow I was going to use it for his glory. And um, gosh, it was a long morning. <laughs> it was long. Did you calm down at any point? I think when... Um, she made me some more food, had a big breakfast. My stomach has been hurting for like two days straight. Um, and so I, I would say I calmed down when I got to the course, you know, right when I got to the, the training room and started working with, with Troy, I was, I was pretty calm. It's kind of amazing to hear that from Scotty Schefter because on the golf course, he doesn't emote. Even on the 12th when Cam Smith blew himself out of the tournament and Schefter makes a brilliant par save and a great yeah. putt. He didn't even turn to the gallery on the 12th tee and give a fist pump. He picked up his ball and he walked to the 13th tee, honestly like a man leaving his office canteen heading back to his desk. It was just flat the whole way. So to hear he was 
that stress the morning of the Masters actually makes me warm a touch, it makes them touch more three dimensional a little bit more human yeah and yeah. it's not that unusual I think for somebody to show no signs physically or outwardly but actually his golf was suggesting that he wasn't feeling it as well you know like I mean there was a, the amount of times until the 18th like, well until the 18th <laughs> until the putts on the 18th like yeah. I mean which are like everybody by the way everybody bogeys the 18th in every major when you've already got it won if yeah. you ever notice that they never get the 8 footer now he obviously doubled it but you know but then, did different. you see the interview with the caddy Ted Scott no so I he, had to go to bed at some stage Joe. fair oh, enough so he's, he misses his initial one misses the next one the crowd are like <laughs> Jean Van de Bell. needs to miss three more in the playoff. Well, that's he turned to Ted Scott and he said, "How many puts do I actually have here?" And Ted Scott said in the interview, "It's actually very good practical advice. It was really clear thinking from a caddy, potentially recognizing that my player's hands have gone to jelly." So he said to him, however many it was, and he said, "If you're gonna miss the next one, lay up. <laughs> like just dribble it. Don't." Don't roll this four feet by lay up from four feet, yeah. which I thought. I mean, it's not the ideal the ideal way to win a major, but I thought that's actually. Pretty so I didn't realise this had actually happened to him. I just assumed it was just some sort of weird anomaly or half messing, half kind of already in the. No, in he the, was, uh, he had five shots clear. How the hell could he have? That was the point to not be nervous because that I was when he got up to the green. He let himself think. Oh my God! Wow, about yeah. to win the Masters and and was overwhelmed again and didn't have merit there to calm down. I do think, by the way, a strong faith, a belief in God that this is out of my hands, I'm being looked after here, is actually a major advantage over the non-believers. Yeah, maybe it gives you humility as well. But I do think it takes away from your achievement to not think that you you're the one who's done it here. You know that it's all in God's hands. Are you suggesting they ban God, Joe. <laughs> I mean. I think that'd be difficult to enforce. <laughs> Where did you even get that from? Oh, but you're putting it out there nonetheless. I'm saying it's an advantage. I'm not saying it's an it's an unfair advantage, you know? But like I'm I'm out there and I'm like, I'm on my own. Scotty's out there, he's like, Well, I'm doing this in God's glory, I think he said. So, you know, there's a certain safety net so there. So gods are like steroids, is what you're saying, Joe. No, I'm not saying that for sure. Who was the <laughs> long jumper who was very religious and then lost his faith on Jonathan Edwards. Yeah. He spoke about how it was such he, he, a comfort blanket. Yeah. He wouldn't uh, compete on Sundays. Such was his uh, his belief and how, right? how, how pious he was at one stage. And it was only when he gave up not competing on Sundays uh, that he was actually able to go and set like world records in Gothenburg and stuff like that, the world championships. He became just a complete powerhouse in the sport and would have been a couple of years prior had he not you know, had that thing of, of not jumping on Sundays and not competing on Sundays. Huh. Can I ask you a quick question about Scheffler before we move off him? Yeah. His form is like insane. He's insane. won four times in the last, what, seven uh, events he's played or something like that. Yeah. It's, you know, borderline unheard of if you're not Tiger Woods. Yeah. Do you get the impression this guy is like dominant here to stay or there are purple patch golfers purple as well patch. who are just like everything they hit is perfect and it'll all disappear? This is completely unsustainable. Yeah, well, this obviously form is, but is he a world number one for the future? Like, uh, see, it's hard to know because I don't, it's, I can't remember what his normal is anymore. Yeah, like he was, he was a Willie won't he get into the Ryder Cup pick? That's yeah, six seven months ago, not long ago at all. Yeah, and he's just taken off since then. So I actually, I'm looking forward to seeing him calm the hell down, and then let's see what he is. Yeah, because at the moment he's a freak of nature. It's you know everything he touches turns to gold. Like when players are hot. They can get up and down from everywhere. They feel confident. They make every putt. But, like, that's not reality. Yeah. You know, Jordan Speed to tell you that. So I, I don't know. But my sense is he'll be hanging around the top 10 for the next couple of years. Yeah. But It's not it, the new Tiger. 
don't think so. We know what a ceiling is. It's what's his, what's his baseline. Like, he's still only 25, which seems to amaze everybody. Uh, we should press on then. Rich, uh, two Irish golfers in the top three. Yeah, indeed. And one of those is Rory McIlroy. He equaled the lowest ever score for a final round at Augusta with his 64. And he explained afterwards why he couldn't play that kind of round earlier in the week. You know, Thursday, especially in this this golf tournament, is not the day to to be super aggressive. It's a day to just hang in there. And um, yeah, I, I, I've said all week, it's just about hanging around this and, and, and have some fun. Brentley. Rory, do you, do you feel like it's tougher to have that go for broke attitude on a Thursday because, you know, you could just as easily shoot yourself out of it? Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, Thursday, especially in this this golf tournament, is not the day to to be super aggressive. It's a day to just hang in there. And, um, yeah, I, I, I've said all week, it's just about hanging around. This That's what this tournament's all about. Hang around until you get to a spot where you feel comfortable to be aggressive and that was you know that was where I was today I was you know I found myself a little too far back but that wasn't because I don't think that was because of my game plan I thought I've I've played okay especially yesterday I played well to shoot under par but um you know Scotty just had such a lead like it wasn't just me that you know struggled the first two days it was it was basically every every other person in the field apart from Scotty so um I thought my strategy this week was really really good um you know I I said after the first two days I could have been a few shots better there was a you know there was that bogey double bogey um run on 10 and 11 on the first day which was a little soft but up uh or on the second day sorry but apart from that um you know, I, I basically did everything I wanted to this week. We'll obviously talk with Dermot Cleese in a few moments a bit more about McElroy. Pretty electric element to Sunday when he gets going. It was nice to see him do that again. It's been a long time, actually. I know. It was unbelievable. The 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 the, the bunker shot in 18, it's such a pity it was so late because what a famous moment that would be. Mm. And by the way, like the fact that Morikawa followed him in was unbelievable. That's well. not getting enough playtime. <laughs> no. Butch Harmon thought it was a replay of uh, McElroy's shot. Yeah. Uh, even though they didn't look anything like each other. But uh, it's such a pity that he couldn't, you know, just he couldn't keep it straight after the 13th and I wonder is that when the pressure came on and that was when he started feeling a little bit in it you know and he just I don't think he hit a fairway after that you know and that was the problem but it was he didn't you know Rory normally has his collapse or two and still finds himself in the top 10 he didn't do that this week it just didn't fall from he played mm. well all week. Pretty That's well. The other thing, you know, it's, Porter was very cold. He just didn't. He didn't set it on fire the way he did Jesse. He needed. He needed two days somewhat in that form, like to compete. But yeah, I, could, I do think he's better when he's aggressive because when he plays conservative, as he was saying there, it's not like he doesn't make mistakes. Yeah, he's probably just better off going for it and reminding everyone that he's to quote J.P. Fitzgerald, Rory, Effie, McElroy a bit yeah. more. So I'm not sure if conservative staying in it necessarily helps. Doesn't have to go crazy, but it's not like if I play conservative, I don't make mistakes. That's not his way. But he showed like yesterday that like I think we've forgotten because it's been so long since we've seen him win a major. Even that like when he's on his game, yeah, there's pretty much no. There might be a couple of people who can compete with him, but there's Very nobody few. better than him. Like yeah, and it's, it has been a long time since we. I've seen, I was worried that wasn't yeah, quite there, there anymore. anymore. It was good yeah. to see six gear was there. What else do you have for us in that, Rich? 
Yeah, Shane Lowry finished with a tie of third and five under par. Triple bogey at the fourth yesterday cost him dear. Seamus Power was tied for 27th on his Masters debut, saving his best round for last with a 70. While Tiger Woods finished the week with back-to-back 78s, which left him 47th on his comeback from an horrific car wreck. And he's not sure where he'll turn up next, but is targeting a tilt at the Open in the summer. I, I have, as I said, I have a lot of work to do. Um, the, the the endurance in the leg wasn't very good. Uh, I, I can start out. I mean, it's sore as hell when I start out. Once it gets warmed up, it's it's good. I can able to hit good shots, and then the endurance goes, and I hit some pretty ugly ones. Um, you know, that's one of the things that we're gonna have to work on uh, and see what the schedule is. And I, as I alluded to in a number of press conferences, I, I, I won't be playing a full schedule ever again. And so um, it'll be just the big events. I don't know if I will it'll play Southern Hills or not, um, but I am looking forward to St. Andrews. And so that that is, you know, something that is near and dear to my heart. And I've won two opens there, it's a home of golf, and it's my favorite golf course in the world. So. Um, I will be there for that one, um, but anything in, in between that, I don't know. I, I will try, and there's no doubt. Like I, this week, I will try and, and get ready for Southern Hills, and we'll see what this body was able to do. 78, 78 weekend, 71 on Thursday, extraordinary. Man, the limp was painful to watch. Oh God, they're trying to hide it as he walked, that long walk from the 18th all the way into the clubhouse. By the time he took his last step or two, he was lifting his foot off the ground. Mm. You know, oh, I can only imagine the pain he was in. You know, unbelievable mm. that he got through it. You know, outrageous. It's outrageous. Made the cut, like you know, we we take that for granted. Like, oh, he had a he had a poor weekend. He ran out of steam. The fact that he was able to make the cut after what he went through. We should. Re- I mean, the No Lane Up podcast read out a list of everybody he'd beaten. Yeah, and a lot of good golfers there. And he's like, it's. Uh, I was. It was extraordinary. And you know, with each passing year, he's a changed person. I mean, he's so different yeah. now. His persona. By the way, have you ever seen anything like Shane Lowry? Like what? You know, a couple of bad holes this week. Like whatever happened on the fourth there, but like. His holing out, his like birdie puts from 25 feet, you're like, Shane's got this. Yeah, Middle of the hole every time. He's in a sweet spot right now. He yeah. said he's, he's feeling very, very good. He wants Heard to just... the Masters, like, you know, nothing to sneeze at. I know. He's hoping the form just hangs on. A bit like Scotty Scheffler until the next major, but he's yeah. feeling good. Uh, we'll talk to Dermot Galise in a moment. Sweden against Ireland tomorrow, half past five. There's a World Cup qualifier. Sweden, the number two ranked team in the world. Crowd of 15,000 expected for this game. We're going to have live commentary on the show tomorrow. Ashley O'Reilly is over in Gothenburg as we speak. Good evening. Good evening, lads. How are you? I was reading it rains a lot in Gothenburg. Is it raining? No, it's it's not raining. It's actually, it's pretty nice. Uh, like a light jacket is all I needed today. Um, so it was an, a welcome change. And yeah, it's lovely. It's it's really calm and quiet and really clean. I don't know if you, any of you have ever been, but uh, really calming is like not much uh, sound around the place just yeah really quiet God you're making it sound, it sound like zombies have taken over there <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of nice but I suppose for a city it, it's a little bit strange but yeah, uh, yeah it, it is it's pretty quiet uh, Sweden number two ranked team in the world as I mentioned they beat Ireland in October 2021 it was only 1-0 admittedly in Dublin there is a degree here of Ireland going over uh, they are missing Savannah McCarthy in defence and there isn't huge depth potentially in the Irish backline. There's a degree of shot to nothing. Sweden are already through. They're going to be first place. This is about if we can nick a bonus point or two, well, a bonus point or three, it would be great. 
Yeah, that's it. Like for Sweden, you know, they, if they get a point, they will seal direct qualification and that's all that they're looking to do. Um, when Ireland, on the other hand, you know, they really want to go out and put up, I think, a, a really good performance that they can walk away from the pitch saying that they gave absolutely everything. And and that was what Vera Pau sort of alluded to today. She said, you know, the outcome that I want, of course, is to win, but I want us to be able to walk away and just say we gave absolutely everything. You know, when they met back in October time, I think think you know Sweden were probably a little bit of a different team than we're going to see tomorrow and um, they're you know a lot more and um, they they played a lot more games in Ireland they've had a lot more time together all of those things that will have a massive impact on the game so I think for the girls of course they want to win but I think a draw we'd absolutely take that. Uh, if you're looking for a sense of how to beat Sweden, uh, for instance, one of the breakdowns of uh, taking them on is that they're one of the fastest playing teams in the world and also one of the very best at counter-attacking. Do everything you can to reclaim the ball once you lose it. Try and force the Swedish players down the sidelines and close them aggressively. Now, this is not a blog on a Swedish football experts uh, writing. This is on the new Swedish jersey. This is bizarre. Have they clarified like what this is all about? Yeah, it was a bit mad today in the press conference. So uh, the Sweden coach, Peter Gerhardsson, he was there and he was asked the question, you know, um, what's this about? Uh, you know, did, does it come across arrogant and all of these questions? And he sort of paused for a minute and he, he didn't know how to answer it. And then he sort of said, look, I think everyone knows. And if you don't know it, then buy the shirt. I don't like to be an underdog. Um, I like to be a winner. Okay. So, but I think what he was trying to get at was that, look, the, these girls, look what they've done, you know, look at the type of team that they are and they're entitled to do this because they are as good as they are. And even Vera Pau, she said today, you know, like, yeah, they, they are entitled to do this. Congrats to them. I won't be buying the shirt, but congrats to Sweden. So, um, yeah, it, it's funny. I, I was asking the lads earlier on OTAM, have you ever seen anything like this before being done? I, I don't think I ever have. No. Nothing like this. Mm. Closest I can think of is that Man United blue and white jersey that had all the names of the players. Yeah. But that's a far First cry thing from this. To my head yeah. Too, yeah. <laughs> uh, weeks spent trying to find Paul Ince. He's on the shorts. He's on the shorts. Uh, we were talking to the camp. Katie McCabe. Yeah, Katie McCabe. Yeah, she she's raring to go. She wants to to get the win, um, and that's Katie all over. You know, she's just an exceptional exceptional talent, and and what a leader as well. Like even just hearing her speak, she she's so motivational. Even just listening to her speak in the press conference, and she's really looking forward to it tomorrow. And it was really interesting as well. I just asked her about making her debut back in 2015 to now 2022, and she just said like it's unbelievable to see the difference. You know of Irish football, where it came from. And she said that this is probably the most exciting time that she's ever had in an Irish jersey. So, yeah, it was just amazing to hear her say that. And yeah, she's really looking forward to getting out there tomorrow and, and hopefully getting the win. OK, I think we've a clip of Katie speaking. And for tomorrow, what is the, the best outcome that you'd hope for leaving the pitch tomorrow night? To not lose, I suppose, um, is definitely the, the most... Um, yeah, the best outcome for me. Um, I think we know it's going to be a, a massive, a massive game. Um, we know how good they are, the second best team in the world. But um, yeah, for sure we'll be ready for it. And I just seen during the week, just your your sister Lauren. She's uh, a footballer as well, playing um, with Ireland. Um, she puts up her videos, doing all her skills, and that yeah. she she's brilliant. She must really look up to you. Yeah, they're uh, under 15 team are currently away in uh, England at the minute with the Bob, Bob Doherty t- uh, Cup, and um, yeah, it's delight. I'm delighted to obviously see her do so well um, at the start of her journey. So hopefully she has a, a big career ahead of her. 
And is this the dream to, to do what her big sister's doing? I think so. I think she uh, she's always asking questions and about Arsenal and Ireland and that. Um, so, yeah, it's it's great for her to, to be able to dream of becoming a professional footballer one day. Here we are, Katie McCabe. More of the ball she sees tomorrow, I think, the better from an Irish perspective. Ash, I know you're back in the football show, so thanks for the time being. Thanks, Will, guys. Thank you. Cheers. Ashna Riley there for Off the Ball in Gothenburg uh, across this uh, week. Richie McCormack, before we go, got to wrap up here, but uh, mm-hmm. be remiss of us not to mention the reports around Munster. Yeah, huge news today. Graham Rowntree is poised to be named the new head coach at Munster. The former England international has been the province's forwards coach since 2019 and he signed a two-year contract extension in January. Rowntree, it seems, will replace Johan van Graan, who of course leaves for Bath in the summer. Yeah, interesting. We'll talk to Fiona Hayes, Keith Wood about that. Uh, Rich, uh, master Special News Round out of you. I expect it no less. Thank you. That's the last one you're ever getting, Joe. <laughs> uh, and by the way, I mentioned uh, we do have commentary that game tomorrow. So Sweden, Ireland tomorrow, uh, full match commentary. It's going to be on OTB Sports Radio and then later on in the evening on the uh, football show this evening. More from Ashley, as I said, in Sweden. She's going to be chatting to Irish international Julianne Russell. And it's all thanks to Sky, proud partner of the women's national team. Uh, together we can go anywhere. We're going to take a short break. Dermot Calise on the way.